Hi, and welcome to our show, Forever Paranormal, with your host, Dr. Bill and Ed, where we will discuss such things as cryptids, UFOs, hauntings, angels, unsolved mysteries, government conspiracies and cover-ups, witchcraft, the metaphysical, and more, as well as stories sent in by you, our listeners. If we can connect a paranormal element to it, we'll talk about it. And you may be surprised by what all is connected to the paranormal. Please don't forget to follow, rate, and share the show, since it would not be possible without you, our listeners. And as a public service, we would like to let everyone know that you are truly never alone, even if you think you are. The Suicide and Crisis Lifeline is 988. Just reach out. Hi everyone, welcome back to the show, and a special welcome to all of our new listeners. Hey Deb, how are you doing? I'm well, how are you? I'm doing just fine, thank you. Well Deb, as you know, this week's episode topic was requested by one of our loyal listeners, and it's on near-death experiences, also known simply as NDE. So Rachel, this one is for you. Thank you, Rachel. You may be wondering... What exactly is an NDE? According to Dr. Jeffrey Long, near-death experiences are a common pattern of events that many people experience when they are experiencing intense threat or seriously ill, or even come close to death. NDEs are triggered during singular life-threatening episodes when the body is injured by blunt trauma, a heart attack, asphyxia, shock, and so on. About 1 in 10 patients with cardiac arrest in the hospital setting undergoes such an episode. NDEs may encompass a variety of sensations including detachment from the body, feelings of levitation, total serenity, security, warmth, the experience of absolute dissolution, and the presence of a light. Some cardiac arrest and surgery survivors from a range of cultural and religious backgrounds have reported near-death experiences, which might include a sensation of leaving the body, a bright light at the end of a tunnel, or memories of a past event. But of course, not all experiences are rainbows and unicorns. We're going to drill down on what the two top researchers in this field have to say about this, and they are Dr. Jeffrey Long, and Dr. Bruce Grayson. Dr. Jeffrey Long is an American author and researcher into the phenomenon of near-death experiences. He is a physician by training and practices radiation oncology at a hospital in Louisiana. Long is the author of Evidence of the Afterlife, The Science of Near-Death Experiences, which appeared on the New York Times bestsellers list. Dr. Grayson is Professor Emeritus of Psychiatry and Neurobehavioral Sciences at the University of Virginia. He is author of After a Doctor Explores What Near-Death Experiences Reveal About Life and Beyond and co-author of Irreducible Mind. Although each person's NDE experience seems to be based on their own cultural beliefs, There is recorded cases where someone experienced something from a religious belief that they did not practice before the event. Are these to be considered truly religious events, or are they part of 
how we as individual energies experience universal consciousness. I guess that's up to each individual to perceive. Before we get into some individual NDEs, let's hear a little bit about how Dr. Long views what an NDE is. My definition of near-death experience, and it's the consensus of, of many researchers, is that you have to be having a near-death experience at the time you nearly die. In other words, there's an imminent life-threatening event, and then it's at that time that you're having that when you're so physically compromised that you're unconscious or clinically dead that you have an experience, the near-death experience. So start foundationally with the definition of a near-death experience. And then you have to look as far as the what, what my opinion validates near-death experiences being real are the lines of evidence for the reality, for example, among the strongest. So here you are, unconscious or clinically dead, one of the initial things that occurs in a near-death experience commonly is what we call an out-of-body experience. Consciousness rises above the body, and from that vantage point, while their physical body lies down there unconscious or dead, they're highly lucid and can be aware of and hear and see ongoing earthly events, often the frantic efforts of people trying to resuscitate them and bring them back to life. Both my studies and other people that have studied this have found that what they see and hear while their body's unconscious or dead, is accurate down to the finest details almost all the time. In my study of over 200 of these out-of-body experiences during near-death experiences, they were 98.6% accurate in down to the finest detail of what they're describing. And other researchers have seen that. And in fact, if their consciousness drifts away from just above their body and goes far away, it can go hundreds of yards, even over a mile away, if their consciousness as occasionally happens in near-death experiences, observes far distant ongoing earthly events, geographically far from their body, way outside of any possible physical sensory awareness. Once again, what they see and hear when they check it out later, almost invariably accurate down to the finest details. That absolutely single-handedly is one out of many lines of evidence for the reality of near-death experience, excludes physical brain function from being, being causal. Uh, moreover, even under adequate general anesthesia, people have their heart stop and boom, they have typical near-death experiences. Again, we have scores of that. And for those of you that have ever been under general anesthesia, you know, boom, you're asleep and then you wake up and it's a, your, your mind is a complete blank slate. So again, even under near, uh, general anesthesia, when they have heart stoppage, which is rare, mercifully, and yet very well documented because you have a whole team keeping an eye on you when you're under anesthesia. Once again, typical near-death experiences with all the details. Again, with uh, heart, heart stopping, you shouldn't be able to have a conscious lucid experience. Under anesthesia, shouldn't have an experience. So if you will, that's doubly impossible for a near-death experience to be due to physical brain function, and yet by the scores that people report that. That's, and again, that's just two out of many, many other examples. But uh, that that almost uh, those two examples almost single-handedly nail down the brain can't be accounting for near-death experience. Anything the brain does, chemistry, electrical, memories. I mean, you just you can't explain that from what what uh, we as researchers observe. Okay, so that's pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. But now let's hear what Dr. Long thinks about and how he explains what universal knowledge is. What I simply call universal consciousness. People, uh, when they're having a near-death experience, again, uh, in that, especially in the unearthly afterlife, the more detailed near-death experiences, 
Um, they ha they have what's uh, often what's described as universal knowledge. They may be aware of knowledge far beyond anything that they ever knew in their life. And it, it bugs me a little bit when they say, oh, it's simple, I should have known, how did I forgot? Because, well, I don't, none of us around here know it. But they, they're aware of everything, how it all fits together, the universe in a way they couldn't possibly have understood on Earth. Now, in my early research, I went, well, gosh, come on, tell me some of that. What'd you learn? Bring back some great discovery for me. And one near-death experiencer put it, I think, very succinctly, helped me to understand it. He said, in the afterlife, it's an ocean of knowledge that we have. And when you return to your earthly body, it's trying to put that ocean of knowledge in the teacup of our human brain. And you can't retain it. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. So, you know, certainly, you know, people on the other side, uh, very commonly, they have that. They, they feel it's home. They may be in the presence of deceased loved ones, joyous reunions, uh, beautiful earth-like landscapes, buildings, uh, overwhelming sense of peace, love, connection, and uh, having that that universal knowledge. All um, you can just see how gripping it is for people to have a near-death experience, to have especially the detailed near-death experiences, to have all that going on. That's interesting because when I was reading up on this subject, I came across. Um, deathbed phenomena studies where before people die they are well the theory is that they have this um, brainwave overload it's like they suddenly have a enormous amount of brain activity that's abnormal from their everyday life and I wonder if that's what he was explaining in that second clip. Yeah, that could be, you know, where all of a sudden all this knowledge is trying to be put into our brain that can't hold it. Yeah, that, mm -hmm. that could possibly be, that's for sure. Okay, so we're going to listen to a little bit from Dr. Grayson. You know, he came from an academic family, and he had a strong science background, and he believed that you were born, you lived, you die, that was it, coming from the, the science background that he had and, and the raising that he had. But let's hear what he thinks about near-death experiences now since he's been studying them for over 30 years. A near-death experience is a profound, primarily spiritual event that many people have when they come close to death or in fact are pronounced dead that may include things like a sense of leaving the physical body, a sense of overwhelming peace and well-being, uh, often finding themselves in some apparently otherworldly realm that's not the physical world, that they may then encounter other beings, uh, usually a warm, loving being of light that they interpret as a deity. Sometimes they see other entities they interpret as deceased loved ones. They often have a review of their entire lives. And at some point, they may come to a point where they make a decision to return to life or are told to return against their will. And for me as a psychiatrist, one of the most and interesting parts of the experience is not the experience itself, but how it transforms people's lives afterwards. And I've been able to follow some of these people now for many decades, and the changes in their attitudes, beliefs, values, and behavior are quite marked and long-lasting. Well, that's a pretty interesting perspective. But, you know, what kind of research do they put into this? I've got a little clip here where Dr. Grayson actually talks about the research they use and they've used and many other researchers use it. So let's go ahead and listen to that. 
Well, I, I first I appreciate you asking people to be skeptical because I think that's the way to, to learn things. And I feel like I'm still a skeptic. I'm still challenging my own beliefs every day. But when we first started looking into this, we collected stories that individual people told us. And of course, I realized that one story does not prove anything. Um, but when you collect a lot of stories, and I'm talking about hundreds or thousands of stories, then you can start looking at patterns that consistently emerge in these accounts. And you can statistically analyze what they say and find out what are the, the current uh, currents that, that go across cultures, across religions, and what are the consistent commonalities in these experiences. And then you can develop hypotheses about them that you can test. Um, for example, most of these things happen when people are either pronounced dead or very, very close to death. So being a bit materialist, I thought about what are the things that go on in the body or in the brain that may be related to this. And the first thing that comes to mind is that you've got a lack of oxygen going to the brain. Because no matter how you come close to death, that's the final pathway that usually happens. But we were able to look at the data, and it turns out that when you're close to death, if you have a near-death experience, you actually have more oxygen to the brain than if you don't report a near-death experience. And it was the same way with, with drugs that were given to patients. Many patients are given drugs, of course, as they're nearing death. But it turns out that the more drugs you're given, the less likely you are to report a near-death experience. So drugs and lack of oxygen do not seem to be causing the experience. If anything, they're inhibiting the experience. And we've tested theory after theory about this, about brain surges of electricity, um, maybe chemicals produced in the brain. And every time we've been able to collect data, they've been contradicting these theories. Now, of course, some of them we can't test. Uh, one of the prominent theories is that there's some sort of hallucinogenic drug produced in the brain at the point of death, like DMT. And that's a nice theory. It's, it's plausible, but there's really no way to test it because you're talking about a chemical that's released in tiny amounts for a short period of time, and we don't even know where in the brain to look for it. And how are you going to do that when someone's in a near-death crisis and you're trying to resuscitate them? Well, that's pretty interesting. And, uh, you know, that you've got more brain activity, more oxygen and everything going through. And the more drugs you're given, the more it inhibits a near-death experience. Mm -hmm. But there's something else I find interesting from Dr. Grayson's research that wasn't in these clips. And that is people that do, they really don't say that they've sinned or they were sinners. They talk about past mistakes and the mistakes they've made. So to me... That seems to remove some of the religious overtones from the research. And, you know, it brings it back to your cultural beliefs. But when, when you don't talk about sins, you only talk about past mistakes, not making mistakes again. It seems to remove that religious overtone. Mm -hmm. Sounds like it. I like that. Okay, Deb. We've heard what some of the leading experts in this field of scientific study have to say so are you ready to hear about some people's own experiences? And I'm not talking about mine. <laughs> sure, but I, I would like to share something first. Um, in my research, I read an article in Social Work Today about the deathbed phenomena that there is a commonality during the end-of-life progression to experience an NDE seeing dead relatives or something or someone comforting that seemed to be waiting for their arrival. And it 
reminds me of a time in my late teen years visiting my grandmother in the hospital before her death. It was as if she was reliving some experiences from her early days. She would confuse me for her sister, and I passed it off as side effects from what they were giving her or the cancer. And, and then she would, be, she would get real quiet after having a conversation with me as if I were her sister. And she'd stare off into space, and it was like she was dreaming about something, but with her eyes open. I wonder now if perhaps she was experiencing an NDE or a vision or some other phenomenon. You know, that's a great concept and a great question to go back and think about it. Because I was also reading some stuff during all this about dementia patients and how it's said that, you know, past life memory, memory, memories and things like that are more prone to younger children, you know, three to six, things like that stuff. Mm -hmm. But then they're also discovering that dementia patients and Alzheimer patients are able to see and perceive things like kids again. And they think it's possibly because their brains have unlearned that we're not supposed to see those things. And they go back to the basic concepts and basic brain functions. So that, that's a really great, great question. Okay, so we're going to play a couple clips. from um, One's from a man and his near-death experience. And the second one's from a woman and her near-death experience. And they're a little different, but let's go ahead and listen to them both. Then we might discuss them for a second. Hi, my name is David Kulikowski. I'm from Vancouver, British Columbia on the West Coast of Canada. And I had a near-death experience. Five years ago, I was at home and I knew I was having a stroke at the time. I called the ambulance, or oh, my mom called the ambulance and they sent me to the hospital. My girlfriend at the time came with me. She's from Russia, so she didn't really know what was going on. When I got to the emergency, the doctor asked me to raise my left arm. I couldn't, I tried, but I couldn't. My girlfriend at the time thought I was joking. So she raised my arm. She said, stop faking. And then she let go of my arm. And when she let go of my arm, my arm fell right to the table, and then I collapsed on the floor. I passed away. My heart had stopped. I didn't know, but at the time, everything was really, really pleasant. Um, what I saw during those eight seconds that I was gone, I saw very, very fast moving stormy clouds, like layers moving left to right. In the background was my grandparents who passed away in the 90s. And in the front was my best friend who passed away from a major car accident in the early 90s, Ken. And he's the one that reached out to me. And my grandparents, they looked healthy. They looked like they're in their 70s. They looked fine. They're smiling. I was amazed. I couldn't believe I saw them. And then I couldn't believe I saw Ken, my best friend. But he's the one that reached out to me and said, not yet. Go back. 
I didn't really understand why I was in this position or what was really going on. I didn't know what I had passed. After the second jolt that they gave me the paddles at 400 volts, that's when I woke up. When I woke up, I didn't even know I was in a hospital. It was so weird. And I'll never, ever forget what happened, what I saw. Never. And nobody can ever tell me that people pass aren't, their spirit is not around because they have to be. They have to be for what happened. That has to happen. And I know before years ago, I never believed in ghosts or paranormal. I never believed in that. But I've had experiences where I can't explain it. And because I can't explain it, it must have happened. Okay, let's go ahead and jump right into our second clip here. Hi, my name is Martha St. Clair, and in 1974, I had the most amazing near-death experience, and it's my true pleasure to share it with you today because it totally changed my life, and I feel like it's a story that perhaps will inspire you and certainly lend to have food for thought. So I was a young divorced woman at the time. I was water skiing in the Sacramento River Delta area. And I was a good swimmer and I was a good water skier. And I was going along for the uh, last water ski of the day. And I had two friends in the boat and one was supposed to be the watcher watching me. So I was going along and by some freak accident, I fell down and the rope twisted behind my left arm and dragged me behind the boat which um, would have not been too bad, except the watcher was not watching me. They were drinking beer, and I continued to be dragged behind the boat. And pretty soon, I evidently had what you would call a classic near-death experience. Now, at the time, I knew nothing about near-death experience, but I certainly knew that I was in a place of danger. My arm was hurting, I was being dragged along, and pretty soon, I'm finding my spirit out of my body and I found myself looking down, seeing myself going behind this boat. And what happened after that was quite amazing. I experienced being in a dark tunnel. The tunnel felt familiar, it felt comfortable. It was dark, as they say, often in these stories. And I was isolated, but I wasn't afraid because I had the feeling I have done this before. I have done this before. And I went through the tunnel and my spirit came out and when I came out of the tunnel, I was surrounded by the most beautiful flowers, glorious, colorful flowers like you don't see on earth, hues and colors that I can't even really explain to myself now and cannot really explain to you, but they were gorgeous. So I went through this area of flowers, and pretty soon I found myself out in the universe. It was full of stars and galaxies, and it was just the most glorious, gorgeous thing that you can possibly imagine. You know, we're going to stop that clip there, but this was a really long clip. And she goes on and on to talk about how this was familiar, how she's been to this tunnel before, how she's seen these things before. So it brings you back into thinking about rebirth and reincarnation. And she kept swearing up and down, you know, she'd seen it before. And it's just like the man in the first clip. It gives us an idea of concept of time. He was dead for eight seconds, but all these things transpired in that eight seconds. So, you know, we know time is a man-made concept. 
And we've talked about this before, how in the universal consciousness, what may be seconds to us is a lifetime there, or what may be a lifetime to us may be seconds there. What do you think, Deb? Well, just in simple terms, <clears throat> I'm I'm thinking it, I'm comparing it to, you know, the days when you go out, you get fall down drunk and you pass out. And you feel like you passed out. By the time you wake up, it's been a day. But it's only been, what, five minutes. I feel like this can be compared to that in, in the space-time reference that you're making. Uh, you could possibly be right. Um, yeah, you, you may be right about that. Mm -hmm. But still, it seems like space-time gets distorted so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right, so we've heard some top doctors. We've heard some personal people's experiences. But when were NDEs first recorded? My research takes it back to ancient times. The oldest known medical report of a near-death experience was written by Pierre-Jean Dumonchot, an 18th century French military doctor. Apparently, in the book he wrote about this subject, he speculates that there is too much blood flowing to the brain, which could explain the feelings a person has when they become, when they regain consciousness. Of course, this is the exact opposite of what modern day theorizes. Yeah, we don't know much about blood flow, but from modern day studies, we do know that the electric activity is extremely high and the oxygen levels in the brain are mm -hmm. extremely high. And he really, from way back then, could be hitting on something because how do you get oxygen through the body? Blood flow. So if your oxygen's that much higher, your blood flow has to be that much higher. Could be. So, so I think he was hitting on something back then. Mm-hmm. Good thing they can keep studying it. Yes. Okay, so we're, we're talking about some of the scientific evidence. What is it? So let's take a look at the AWARE study, which stands for Awareness During Resuscitation, and was launched in 2008. The study, which concluded in 2012, included 33 investigators across 15 medical centers in the UK, Austria, and the US, and tested consciousness, memories, and awareness during cardiac arrest. The accuracy of claims of visual and auditory awareness was examined using specific tests. One such test consisted of installing shelves, bearing a variety of images and facing the ceiling, which were not visible to hospital staff or the patient in the room, and where the cardiac patients were, and they were more likely to occur in those areas, so they used those rooms. The results of the study were published in October 2014. Both the launch and the study results were widely discussed in the media. A review article analyzing the results report that, out of 2,060 cardiac arrest events, 101 of 140 cardiac arrest survivors could complete the questionnaires. Of these 101 patients, 9% could be classified as near-death experiences. Two more patients, 2% of those completing the questionnaires, described seeing and hearing actual events 
related to the period of cardiac arrest. These two patients, the cardiac arrest did not occur in those areas equipped with ceiling shelves, so there was no images. And it could be used objectively to test for visual awareness and claims. One of the two patients was too sick, and the accuracy of her recount cannot be verified. For the second patient, however, it was possible to verify the accuracy of the experience and to show that the awareness occurred paradoxically some minutes after the heart stopped at a time when the brain ordinarily stops functioning and cortical activity becomes isoelectric. The experience was not compatible with an illusion, imaginary event, or hallucination since visual, other than the ceiling shelves images, and auditory awareness cannot be corroborated. You know, it doesn't prove a whole lot, but it does seem like there's something there. What do you think, Deb? It defies logic, but um, there are numerous studies and theories that are continuously being examined. So perhaps one day we'll have an absolute definition or resolution to this question. Well, I believe when we die, we <laughs> will answer that question. Yes, maybe. Yeah. Well, what about you folks? We'd love to hear your thoughts on this and any ideas you would like to share. All of our contact information can be found in the show notes of this episode. And this is going to bring us to the close of this week's episode because we're stretching it out there a little bit. And as always, thanks for listening. And until next time, when we discuss another tale yet to be told. I'd also like to state that the audio clips are all used under the protection of fair use. Thank you for listening, and remember to like and share the show. We would also appreciate a five-star rating wherever possible to help new listeners find the show. We welcome all questions or comments you may have about this or any other episode, and our contact information can be found in the show notes of this episode. You can also follow us at foreverparanormal.com, and if you'd like to support us, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash forever paranormal. The links to these are also in the show notes of this episode.